Dr. Kristen Oja here, entrepreneur and functional medicine expert. Welcome to Little By Podcast, where our goal is to empower you to achieve optimal health, one step and one episode at a time. Taking a functional medicine approach will cover a variety of health and wellness topics, from how to optimize performance to how to balance your hormones and everything in between. This podcast is for educational purposes only, so please be sure to consult your healthcare provider before incorporating any changes into your daily routine. Now grab your headphones and let's go for a walk as we take steps towards becoming your best self. This episode is so dear to my heart with how many friends and patients and people I have come in contact with that have struggled with infertility. Uh, this episode is with Hillary Alberta Shear, who is the founder of Humanize Infertility, and she's really working to humanize the process one woman, one couple, and one story at a time by empowering those struggling with infertility with knowledge, hope, and connection. Hillary is a biotechnology researcher with expert knowledge in the policy and ethical conversations around infertility. She's utilized over 15 years of clinical science research experience and saw that there was such a need for more robust, transparent, and accessible research on infertility and infertility technology. So this led her to her dissertation, which is all on ethical guidelines and policies surrounding egg donation. She's an activist for positive change that really enables women to make informed and autonomous decisions about their health and well-being. She has her bachelor's in biology, her master's in public health, and her PhD in biotechnology policy and ethics, all from Georgia Institute of Technology or Georgia Tech. Uh, she resides in Atlanta and she has a husband, two kids, and a 100-pound golden doodle. Uh, I think you guys are going to find a lot of value in this. And if you know anyone that has struggled with infertility, please share this episode with them and really even more more important than sharing this episode, share Hillary's Instagram and her website, Humanize Infertility. I just think these stories, I, one night when I knew I was prepping for this, I just got on her website and just started reading these women's stories. And I started reading her research and there's so much work she's done in this space that I don't want anybody struggling with infertility to miss it. And if you know someone that is open to sharing their story, make sure you hand, uh, give them Hillary's information because she is constantly interviewing and sharing more people's story to spread awareness around infertility and again, humanizing the infertility experience. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I have. And, um, we would love your thoughts as always. So feel free to reach out to either of us and, um, I hope you enjoy it. I am so happy to have you here, Hillary. Oh, thank you, Kristen. I'm excited to be here. So you guys are going to learn a lot during this episode. And it is something that I think is so critical for our audience to hear. Because as you guys know, as the founder of STAT, I work with a lot of women and I work with a lot of women dealing with infertility. And Hillary and I were talking about before we hopped on here that infertility is really affecting one in six women. And this is not an uncommon thing, one in six women. And so her work in humanizing infertility is going to hopefully create an environment where you can feel hope and connection. So Hillary, I wanted to start right off by talking about what is infertility. So, um, 
Back in 2009, the World Health Organization, that is when they first defined infertility as an actual disease. And it's defined as you've gone 12 months trying to get pregnant without any assistance, completely naturally, and you've been unable to get pregnant. That's If you've gone those 12 months, that's when you're defined as being infertile. Um, I like to expand beyond just that very technical um, definition of infertility because it's so much more than just you can't have a baby in 12 months. It creeps into everything. It creeps into, I really have these three buckets. You have that physical burden, um, which I think that definition captures, but then there's also very much an emotional burden as well as a financial burden to infertility. Well, and I think too, one, you just taught me something. I did not know it was not identified as a kind of disease process until 2009. That is shocking. Yes, very. (laughs) That is like absolutely shocking. Uh, But I also think the one year, you know, it makes sense to me when women are younger, right? Like in their young 20s, mid 20s, like a year of trying you know, you've got some time, but we see a lot of infertility that we really look at, like even in, you know, the thirties, upper thirties that have been trying for six months and haven't gotten pregnant. And they're in this gap where infertility specialists are like, Hey, you're, it's not really infertility yet. Cause it's not been a whole year. And that I think is where functional medicine always comes in. And we're like, Hey, let's try to get to the root cause of this early on before you hit that one year point and get that infertility diagnosis, you know, in your chart. Um, But I'm really excited to hear kind of what drove and motivated your doctorate studies and hear a little bit from you about like what humanizing infertility is meant. So will you talk a little bit about your doctorate studies and what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I have been in clinical research now for almost 16 years. And I actually started that when I was a freshman in college. Um, that's probably a story for another day, but, um, I've been in it for a long time. So when I hit my master's, I was working with my two advisors and they were working in the infertility space and, um, they asked me to help them with a grant. And my mind was completely blown because at that point I'd been in clinical research for about five years and how I, like how my name was regulated in terms of how, like I made a mistake on something and I had to cross it out. What color pen I used and how I wrote my name and how I wrote the date was regulated. And and I've been in a vascular um, surgery type space. And so this is technology that saves lives. And I was like, wait a second, this is a whole, the whole infertility space. We are trying to create life. And I realized that the regulations and the policies around that were bare to nothing. And it blew my mind coming from this clinical research area. And, you know, the infertility space has been called the wild, wild west of medicine. And I quickly realized why. Um, There are really no very few federal regulations, a couple more state regulations, but for the most part, um, there's not much. There are some self-regulations, but even those, who's going to implement them? You know, if you don't follow them, there's nothing in place that says what will happen to you. So that is how I got hooked on the space. Um, And I went through my master's, my PhD, um, really focused on, um, I ended up having to focus on egg donation and the risk disclosures that were given to individuals that were um, serving as egg donors. And from that, um, 
finished my dissertation, um, had a couple of publications and realized just how much work could and should be done in the space. And so um, really wanted to do what I'm doing now with humanized infertility with my dissertation. But my two advisors were like, you will be here till you're 80 if you want to do that. And I totally understood. And so to me, I've really seen this not as finishing anything. I'm really kind of jumping off from where my dissertation ended and trying to provide a really safe space for individuals to share their own infertility journeys. I think that in order to make any changes, whether it be in, you know, standard care within infertility, all the way to a policy that's going to help you pay for it or help regulate it, we don't really stop and listen truly to what individuals are going through when they're going through infertility. And that's what Humanize Infertility, this project is doing, interviewing those that are going through it, capturing their journey and sharing it, um, shining a light on it. I always say we're trying to shine a light on an area and on a journey that is walked way too often in the dark and in silence and letting individuals know they are not alone. Um, and, and really trying to empower, empower someone with the knowledge, the hope, and the connections. Do you have any thought process on why there is not more in the space? Is it because like we just really had infertility as a diagnosis in 2009? Is it because this is more women and it's complex? We know even as it relates to female hormones, there's not as much research and ethics. And, you know, do you have any thought process on kind of why this is an area that's so in the dark? Yeah, I definitely think the um, labeling of a, as a disease in 2009 being so late in the game, I definitely think that plays a huge part in it. Um, but yes, I agree that with it being in this, um, you know, a third of infertility is caused by female factor and then another third by male factor. And then you've got that, uh, that bucket of unknown and people argue whether it really is unknown or not. But um, I think that just this, okay, so if we look at it from like a clinical research perspective, really hard to run any like true trial type, you know, um, rigorous trials that we're used to in other areas of medicine. So I think that's one reason why we've definitely taken the approach, which we do in a lot of ways here in the U.S. of we're just going to keep going until we see something not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's one reason um, but in terms of, you know, I think another issue, and this is coming from not just my own research um, in the in journals, but also just research talking to individuals, is they feel like some, and this is not all, but some feel like they go to the clinics and it is a business. They are just a hamster in the wheel. And it's just, you know, I'm another number here. And it's become a we're trying to fix just giving you a baby rather than we're trying to actually fix whatever that flag is that's waving in your body saying you are not fit. Like there's something going on. There is a root cause. And a lot of women say, I go in and I don't actually feel like the doctor's actually trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Like what is that root cause? It's just end game. We're just getting you a baby. And they'll say, you know, even when I get pregnant, I still, if there's not an actual diagnosis as to why I wasn't able to get pregnant, they still consider themselves infertile, even with a baby in their hand. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a huge disconnect with what's going on with like typical healthcare system for these women. 
and they're like, it's just throwing spaghetti at the wall. And they don't, you know, they just like every other area of medicine, 15 minutes max with a doctor. Mm -hmm. And they're like, how? And, And so we're like, not, we're completely, it actually kind of goes back to exactly what that definition is, which is just, okay, 12 months, you didn't have a baby and defining that as infertility and completely missing that it's completely seeping into every inch of their life and, but not taking the time to even really examine that. Well, and I'm excited to hear some of the common themes you've seen because I know one of the big things that I see a lot in practice is that as soon as somebody gets an infertility diagnosis, whether it is female factor, male factor, unknown, it immediately the woman feels like something is wrong with my body. I have failed. I have failed. And I just, I feel always like my heart being ripped out because it's so complex, right? Fertility is so mm-hmm. complex. And I think that's where it's so hard to look at protocols and root causes is it's, you know, one person may be more trending towards autoimmune and inflammatory conditions. And one person may be in fight or flight all the time from post-traumatic stress disorder. And one person may have MTHFR and nutritional issues. And, you know, it's so complex, but I just feel like my heart is always just ripped out because I think women, it's, they feel like, well, I decided I was going to get pregnant. This was a big leap in the first place. Then I'm shocked that I can't get pregnant. And now there's something wrong with me. Like this is Mm -hmm. just my fault. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of blame, like, oh, I took birth control for a couple of years or, you know, I just, I've seen a lot of, of, feeling like a failure. And so I'm really interested to see, because you've spent a lot more time hearing stories and interviewing. And I know you were telling me before that it's kind of organic. People just find you. And I just, I love that. Um, but what what are some of the things that you're hearing in these women? Is there any common themes? Yeah, no, I love that question. So I, we, I talk to all of them, going back to those three buckets, you know, we talk about the physical, the emotional, and the financial. And almost nine times out of 10, the physical, they're like, yeah, yeah, they're a bajillion shots. That's, you know, they, and and some of them, even those that have like, you know, um, a rough time with them, it's really not a part of our conversation at all. (laughs) And we immediately, we spend so much of our time. It's all about that emotional bucket. The financial bucket is not one to completely write off because that actually feeds into the emotional, I would say. But the biggest theme is exactly what you were just talking about. The emotional toll and how it literally is every single thought, but it's down to not just like, when am I going to take my shot? Um, you know, I, am I going to be in an airport when I have to give the next shot? It's so much more than that, that, you know, if you haven't been through it, you don't even think about, but I had one, um, I'm finishing up one story right now. And she was telling me, you know, like, when I thought about my future and I thought about what that looked like, having to every day go, that may not be my future. I, you know, the idea of Christmases with your families, um, you know, I'm getting big house and little footsteps, you know, running around those sounds that you thought you'd be hearing their entire, it's not just the right now is, you know, I think what we all think about, oh man, this must be really difficult right now. No, they're having to process and rethink from now until the end of how different that could look. And if you think about that, that emotional burden that you immediately carry is incredibly heavy. And then if you do think about some of the daily, you know, 
they they talk about how from when before they were given that infertility diagnosis to either being in the thick of it or on the other side, they're never the same person. Mm -hmm. And because like you just said, they feel broken. They feel like they were broken down into all of these pieces. And when they were put back together, it is not the person um, that they knew before. And it's also not like, you know, oh, I broke down so I could come up to be stronger. This is not something they signed up for, right. you know? And that is the part that when you hear, you're right, it is so heartbreaking. And then the loss. I mean, some of the losses I've heard about, I mean, the grief that you carry with that, but then still having to get up and keep moving forward because at the end of the day, you still don't have what you're working for. It's like there's a hole in their heart mm -hmm. and they're trying to fill that hole and in any way that they possibly you know, can to get to that. That emotional burden by far is, um, you know, every story is different, yet that emotional burden is absolutely a common thread. And it's, it's a, it's a incredibly painful one. Well, I think, so you find with the three buckets, the one that has the lasting longest impact is that emotional bucket is right that, and I think, you know, to me, I see that a lot in practice. Is it something like we spend a lot of time talking? Cause as you know, from functional medicine, we really like to get a good timeline, like all the way from birth until the day I meet with them. And there's women that I meet with that are in their fifties or sixties. And, you know, they're very fortunate that have grown kids, but their infertility journey is still, it's such a part of who they are, even in their fifties and sixties. And they ended up with children. It was mm -hmm. the stress and the emotional impact of that period of their life is still such a big driver that we talk about even years down the road. But I wondered how much I... I personally have not gone through the infertility journey. So I always like look at this where I'm like, I am learning with you because there's there's so many pieces to this. But I feel like a big thing that I also see with my patients is this unknown that constantly comes up. It's like, okay, I am going to get pregnant and I always had a 28-day cycle. I thought it would be easy to get pregnant. And then now I've got this unknown when it comes to why am I infertile, right? Then they mm -hmm. finally make the decision to move forward with, let's say, IVF. Of course, there's lots of options, but they move forward with IVF. Then there's an the unknown of, well, what's my egg quality going to be? Then mm -hmm. there's an unknown of, is the transfer going to stick? Then there's that, you know, it's this like unknown. It's not just the decision of, am I going to go forward with some infertility work or not? It's, okay, I made a decision to go forward with it. And then all the decisions and all the unknowns throughout the way. Like it's, it's not just the decision to move forward with this and know what you're going to physically put your body through to your point with the emotional toll. It's, mm -hmm. I just hear this like unknown as the other thing, like I'm a failure. And then this unknown that just, I feel like would be incredibly tough. Um, is that something like, do you, do people talk about that? Like, is that a big thing of like always waiting for the phone to ring and what are the results yeah. and the next ultrasound and just this space of unknown? Yes, the space of unknown and the space of just waiting. And you're I, like, I had one person who was like, you finish your first, you finish waiting. And then your next step is just waiting again for something else. And it's a different weight than, you know, um, if you're just, you know, typically trying to get pregnant and you get pregnant super easily. Yes, you know, there is a waiting game for everyone, but the weight that you experience when you're going through infertility and that amount of unknown is, um, it's definitely prevalent. And the other thing I would say that's, that has shocked me 
is the amount of unknown they experience, even when they're at these, you know, very well established and well known clinics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many women that I've talked to being like, okay, if they go in for ultrasounds and they're like checking to see, okay, how many follicles do we have before we do this egg retrieval? And one girl talked to me and said, well, I went out to the car afterwards. My husband was like, how did it go? And she's like, I don't even know. No one even really talked to me. Like through, mm-hmm. the, like they don't even get talked to through the process. It's almost like, and again, not a blanket statement for every single clinic, but um, it, it's a common theme that I hear from individuals. And it is more uncommon to hear a doctor was there for every visit. It's more, no, the doctor was there for the egg retrieval or for the intro and the egg retrieval. And that was it. Um, and how much they have to push, like really, I mean, we all have to advocate for ourselves no matter what it is, but the amount that they have to advocate for themselves, it just seems like out of everything else they're having to deal with, they shouldn't have to deal with that too, mm-hmm. to the extent that they do for the exact reason you're talking about, um, having so many unknowns. And I'm sure, you know, if they come to you, it's like, it's crazy how like you're at these other doctors and you've got all these protocols going on. There shouldn't be that many unknowns for them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so many of them will go, well, I went in for X, Y, Z testing. Well, I had no idea what was going to happen to me. And I'll find myself like kind of clarifying, like, well, what do you mean? Did you get any information before you went in? No, just come in on this day and we're going to do, you know, we're going to flush your tubes. But like, what does that mean? What Mm -hmm. does that feel like? What, what all is involved and what are we looking for? Like all of that very much can be left in the unknown for them. And so they're kind of going through this process blind a lot of the times and any, you know, kind of clarity they get, the amount they had to fight to get that clarity, just it's sometimes really shocking. Do you know, and I don't even know if this has been published because I don't know the statistic, but do you know how many end up with a successful pregnancy at the end of all of this? Is there any data around that? So all of the clinics in the U.S. are, again, there's not a hard regulation, but are highly recommended to um, be a part of um, this organization called SART, Society um, for Assisted Reproductive Technology. And so there's supposed to be a SART clinic. And then through that, they're each supposed to report their um, success rates. And that is, you know, so that an individual could go on and see for every clinic, it's very different. So there isn't a one publication that gives a you know, in general, here is the success rate if you go and do IVF or if you do it this way. Um, it's more by clinic, but even how people calculate those rates can be criticized sometimes. Um, and it's interesting because I've had one um, woman that I talked to who was like a complete mystery case. Like they're trying different things, but not much is happening. And she was like, um, they, we're literally sitting down and almost wanting her, like asking her to leave because at this point she's going to ruin, like, okay, she's gone through four or five rounds. That's now in impacting their success rate. If mm-hmm. they look at it from a clinic standpoint. So that's the other thing. I mean, so because it is a business and they are competing with one another to get women to their clinics, there's that idea of, okay, yes, it's in your benefit, but they want you to get pregnant just as fast as you want because it's going to help their success rate. But at the same time, um, 
it kind of loses, and that's again why I call it humanized infertility. Because to me, we're losing the like the whole point. This is a human going through this, and how can we help that particular individual in whatever way they need? Have you seen some themes of like what offered some of these women hope and encouragement during the process? Like, were there some things that were common, like? having a friend that went through this was the most important thing or, you know, how, how is that on the, on the flip side? Mm -hmm. So the biggest one is community. And like you said, even if it's one or two people having one or two people that, you know, you can call and you're not looking, that's the other thing. They are not looking for it's going to be okay. You're going to, it's going to happen because they're like, I also have to be really realistic that this may not happen. So having that person that can just be that safe space that can just listen. Um, but also having that support of someone who like really understands. Um, and so a lot of them, and this is, I mean, it, it, I guess it does and it doesn't shock me. Um, a lot of them will talk about Instagram mm-hmm. and how that community, it's like the TTC trying to conceive community. Um, I've really, I mean, I, I haven't seen anything like it because it's, you know, they all have this incredible pain, but I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of them about how the connection that they have with one another is really beautiful. And it's like the way they uplift one another and, they go for the community. Um, it's also a resource, I would say. And they're very like, okay, we understand that, you know, you can't just go to Instagram and it's like your new Google and you, whatever you find is going to be the truth. But it gives them a place to start in a way that they don't always, you know, feel like they can find elsewhere. Um, so community is absolutely number one. Um, I would say a lot of them say they could not do this um, by themselves. Um And so that's where I think they find a lot of strength, um, from each other. And I don't know if, if this is something that came up, but do most of the women that you've interviewed, are they really open with like family and friends? Like, are they, or do they try, like they find the community of people dealing with infertility and are they more private with other people in their life is. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And because that was one that, um, again, it varies, First of all, culture, cultures can play a big part in that. So I talked to um, one girl who was Muslim and it was, she, I think, told her mother, but then everything else was really kept under wraps because going through IVF and all of that was just not something that her immediate family and her culture were really like, wasn't that they disapproved, but it wasn't like there was like full on approval support that she was going to get from it. So she kept it private, her and her husband, for a really long time. And um, and even when they came out, it's not something that's discussed, really. Mm-hmm. It's like we know about it, but we're not going to discuss it. You have some individuals who are just, I mean, one girl cried because she was like, I've never felt this much support. And then she, it was really amazing. It was really beautiful because she said, you know, when other people cried, I really didn't know what to do with that. And the way people have treated me through my infertility has taught me compassion for other people. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, that's, um, that's beautiful. And then you've got kind of the in-between where they find more support from these strangers online going through this. And then their families are tr- and family and friends, like they, they don't really get it. Like they mm-hmm. want to support 
they don't really get it. A lot of times they're like, some people, it's like, especially friend groups. Um, and if you're at that age where everyone's getting pregnant around you, they're like, I, it feels like people are walking on eggshells around me because they don't know, is she going to break if I tell her that I'm pregnant and I know she wants to be pregnant or I'm laughing her and I'm about to be pregnant a second time. That's when it gets really tricky and they find themselves retreating away um, and, you know, avoiding the, the baby showers, sometimes avoiding Christmases because you're around family members that have, you know, all the kids are there. And so I had one girl who was like, I'm going to Disney world. Like, I, I just can't even do Christmas this year. I'm going to Disney world. Hmm. And, um, and, and so it's that, and, and then they're finding more support. Yes. in those trying to conceive communities that are mostly based online. Um, because again, it's that, that core group of people who just really understand. And I've had someone say like something as simple as like, if you go and you tell your friend who's never been through infertility or doesn't really understand, like my meds came in today and they're like, awesome. You go to your group of infertility friends and you tell them your meds came today. It is a full on party. Wow, that's awesome because they understand one, the financial bit that it took two, just the logistical bit to get your meds in time to start everything. And then also what those meds represent, mm -hmm. um, in a way that like, you know, if I told my friend, I got my, you know, my vitamins today, they'd be like, cool. Right. <laughs> so right. It's not that. Well, and I know from some of the women that I've talked to through the process, it's like, they're like, Kristen, it's a full-time job. Like I have yes. spreadsheets in each of my rooms of like what I give myself at what time. And, you know, it's, it's, there is, it's so complex. It's not just the decision of what I'm going to do next. It's not just mm -hmm. the, like, we're going to spend the money on this. It's not just the unknown. It's also the like day-to-day -day, like organization and yes. doing what you're supposed to do at what time you're supposed to do. And I actually like, I, again, work with so many women. These are, I learned so much through them. And I was talking to a patient that she's about to do her third um, egg retrieval. And she said, you know, I, I went through all the steps. The first one failed because my ovulation happened at a different time and they couldn't do it. My second one failed because I had a little, I had a cyst that was too large that they couldn't do it. So now I'm doing mm -hmm. my third one. And it's like, you know, those decisions are so big to do and then to have it and I think this goes back to the conversation and the education and the treating them like a person and some of the data. Like I know even for me when I got pregnant, uh, reading the book, I don't know if you've read the book, What to Expect. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, she wrote this book and she's not even, she's like an econ major. She's yeah. not medical at all. But yeah. I just like loved when she said, she was like, I went in there and I was like, well, t present the data to me. And mm -hmm. all of the OBGYNs and stuff that she went to see, like, they had no data to present. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, I want to be able to make my own decisions based on data points. And I just, I feel like that's a thing. And it probably is because to your bigger point, we don't have as much data as we should. We don't have, you know, national averages and exact things to present to people because of this whole, there's so much unknown. There's not as much research as, you know, I'd love to see yet. Um, but I just, I think that that is a very tough conversation to have when you really don't know exact percentages of mm -hmm. what is the likelihood and if this doesn't work, what's the next thing? And and what are all the reasons of why this isn't going to work? Like in this patient's case, she was like, oh, I just thought I'd go in. She was like, I decided to freeze some eggs and I thought they were going to get some eggs and freeze them. Like I didn't realize right. that it might not work and that I might have to go back multiple times and do the treatment all of those times. So yeah, I, I just, I think that 
I understand why community is one of the big common themes that offers hope in this journey because Mm -hmm. it's very hard. It's like, you know, this is not by any means the same, but I know I was talking to one of my friends that lost her mom and I was like, you know, what, what is helpful to hear when you lose a mom? Like, you know, what is not helpful to hear, uh, right. you know, and, and some of these conversations, cause people have really good, they're trying to say the right things, but when you don't understand and you haven't gone through it, it's not always the right things. Right. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I'm not surprised to hear that community. And I'd like to know, cause you're really in this space is like, for those of the people that are listening and that are like really in the thick of it right now, what are some of the sources? The like, is there support groups? Do you have any websites with counseling options? Like, what are some of the resources for those that are like right now in the thick, or if they want to share their story with that with you? How do they get a hold of you? Um, yeah. So, um, for getting a hold of me, um, uh, my website is humanizeinfertility.com, and you can fill out a thing there. Um, people can also um, email me and I can, I can give that to you if you want to share that in the notes. Um, and, and also on Instagram, reaching out there and it's just humanize infertility. But um, so I, yes, I'm creating this community, um, being able to provide those safe spaces to share the story. And that's one thing that I have found that everyone, I, you know, I'm always thanking them, like the amount of vulnerability to share your story like this on a platform um, is I'm always thanking them. And they're always like, if I can help one single person not feel so alone, like, and and yes, again, here they are, many of them still in the thick of it. And they're always thinking about how they could help another person because of, they don't want someone feeling so alone or feeling the pain that they're, you know, going through. Um, and so, um, Instagram, again, I, it's kind of crazy that I'm like, man, Instagram, but that is, I mean, so many of them, I mean, I just have another girl who reached out to me who was like, I really want to share my story. and was just going on. She actually shared, um, we were talking about, there's actually an NIH study right now that's looking and has published on how social media outlets such as Instagram are actually an incredibly, um, core part of the emotional support. So now I, and that shocked me that like an actual government grant <laughs> looked into this, but, um, going to Instagram and looking at, you know, different hashtags like TTC community or, um, you know, miscarriage, just all of those sort of things. You'll find a, just an amazing community. They all say it's a club you don't want to join, but when you do, you are very much supported. Um, so you can find things on Instagram. Um, but I also have had some really great conversations with some, you know, startup groups that are really focusing on like the mental health aspect around it. So still focusing on the emotional, um, Alonza wellness is a really wonderful group that is providing, um, um, some coaching that is specific around, um, your fertility journey in general. So that's like a very big distinction that like, if you're even contemplating it. So like, you're like, I don't even know if I want kids or I want kids and I don't know what like is going on in my body. Do I need to be concerned to, I know I'm going through, you know, I have infertility and I'm struggling and then even postpartum. So they provide support through your entire fertility journey, which I think is really important. Um, and that's, um, a great resource. Um, but there are also, you know, some other things that I've, across um, another group, if we're going to talk 
I wanted to touch a little bit on the financial part because that's also such a huge bit. And so their organizations actually just um, was talking to the CEO of one just a couple of days ago called Baby, um, the Baby Quest Foundation. And they are a grant program. And there are a lot of really amazing grant programs out there. But you have to, again, like the amount of research, like there's so much work. Every single step is so much work. And so like this particular grant program allows individuals, if you're early enough in the process to, you know, provide some of that financial support, because when, you know, I've had a lot of the, the women say, I'd like to say the money is not shocking because we all just know, but when you actually go in and even if you have coverage, when you add up the dollar amount for all of your shots and all of, you know, all the little things that aren't covered, it's like just it's astronomical and it's, it's not just an easy, you know, couple hundred here and there and everything else is covered. It's not like that. So finding places like baby quest um, foundation and finding some other financial support um, I think is really crucial. And then this is one that's not really a resource, but just like a tip on the financial bit um, that I've picked up from talking to individuals is um one i also finishing up her story she's so scrappy is what i want to say like that's the word that comes to my mind because she stayed with her ob guide longer than i mean she went all the way to the end with her ob guide and i'd never heard that before but the way the reason she did was her ob guide was willing to run certain tests that if were done at the reproductive embryologist would not have been covered by insurance mm. but because they were done with her ob guide they got covered. And so she would, once she started working with her reproductive embryologist, she did a lot of research through her insurance to figure out who should do what. And I thought, and she was like, I saved so much money, but no one ever told me that because you just go to your RE, your reproductive embryologist and think everything has to be done there. And she was like, and it's an arm and a leg. Right. Because and so anyway, that was really interesting to me. And then I've also heard a lot of times um, to push back and that everything is negotiable. So I had one girl who was like, I literally would push back every time on pricing for my medication because you could be at one, you know, um, one resource for your medication and it's X dollars. And then you go down the road and it's $40 more per shot or something like that. And so, um, she actually negotiated a lot. Again, it seems like if, you know, I'm in those shoes, you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm already tired. Like, I don't want to have to do all of that too. But just to know that, if that is in your capacity, like you do have that space and there are options. I wish there was more of like a blanket price for every yes. woman for a certain number of attempts of whatever it is because of like the insurance-based model, right? Some people may need one round. Some people need four. Because that was one of the things that a lot of my patients told me is they're like, you know, we can budget for the first round, but if it doesn't mm -hmm. work, then it's like a second or a third, you know? And I think about insurance, right? It's like everybody pays the same amount. Some people use a lot mm -hmm. of the benefits and some people don't. Um, that it just, it seems like the system has to have a better way of taking care of these women struggling with infertility. Like it just, I'm, I'm just yes. blown away from learning with my patients, the expense. Like one of my patients was like, yeah, I just got my first shipment of meds and it was $5,000. Yeah. And I was like, just for the medications. And that's, you yes. have insurance. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so it's, 
I'm, I'm really excited that there is things like the baby quest that you just mentioned. I didn't realize that. And like different people looking at financial solutions. And I do think there is some insurance now. I've had actually a couple patients that are getting decent, not all the way, but decent insurance coverage, which I feel like until recently, I never heard of. So, right, you know, yeah. I hope some of this is changing. No, and I think it is. You have um, like Carrot Fertility is um, a big group. They are trying to work with, um, you know, some of our bigger companies to provide for like getting companies to provide fertility insurance. And it would be like through Carrot Fertility. So it's almost like an, uh, an add-on to your normal insurance, but it provides that coverage that you need. Um, I, I've heard some of the arguments with some of that is they're, you know, going towards the upper class kind of mm. companies. And that is one of the biggest issues with um, infertility treatment is accessibility. Mm-hmm. So my hope is that we can see more just, you know, um, generalized accessibility to it. Um, because it is, it's, I mean, it's incredibly expensive. And like you said, even with insurance, I am also starting to see when I talk to individuals, like, I mean, I've been doing this research now for gosh, um, eight or nine years. And from where it was when I started to the coverage that I will hear from some people like, oh, we get four rounds. Um, and I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Again, that's, you know, limited on what that covers. Um, but even things like for the longest time, you had individuals that had to go through IUIs, the interuterine insemination. And Um, they had to go through like three rounds before insurance would even consider covering IVF treatment. Mm. And for some, you know, if you talk to some groups of women and even some doctors, they're like, IUIs are a waste of time for for a particular individual. And so, but for some, and I literally, there was one girl I talked to who I was, she was like, I just told the doctor the first one failed. Like, let's just go in as soon as you can Just go in and do it again. Because she was like, it was going to be a total wash. We all knew it was going to be a total wash, but we had to do it in order to get our IVF coverage. And like, that shouldn't, that shouldn't happen. Um, it's the same way I feel with certain medications where I'm like, this patient needs the brand, yeah. but insurance won't cover it until they failed, you know, mm-hmm. three medications. And you're like, you need to yeah. fail that many times. Oh man. Yeah. It's... It's a a complex process. And I really love that you... I did not realize you've been doing this research for that many years. And I am just the amount of stories that you're gathering and themes you're seeing and support and community that you're offering, I think is huge. And so I wanted to know what is next for you? Like what, where do you plan on going with some of your, you know, humanized infertility and future research? What What's up for you next? Yeah. So for me, the heart and soul is always going to be the stories. Um, Talking to as many individuals as I can, like I said, every single story is unique. And I think the more light we can shine on this, um, the more that we can, you know, my whole thing is um, open heart, open hand, and being able to help more people not feel so alone on this journey. And then to hopefully be able to like really create some meaningful change um, so that this journey, it's its going to be hard. There's no way around that. But is there a way that we can help uplift those walking this path a little bit more? That's always going to be the heart and soul of what I'm doing. Um, and with that, I'm my next thing is expanding on this after talking to so many individuals, really looking at how can I combine 
all of my skills to really give back in any way that I can. And so I'm going to be starting um, a one-on-one program, eventually expanding that into probably some small group work. But working one-on-one and really looking to empower individuals in two different ways. That was, you know, part of my mission of humanizing fertility, empowering those with knowledge, hope, and connection. And so for the knowledge standpoint, you know, I call my PhD a a degree in research Mm -hmm. and being able to be a research guide for those walking through this because they're like, gosh, now I'm a full-time researcher at the same time. And I sometimes don't even know what I'm looking at. And so helping individuals, you know, they say I'm walking in there and I don't, you know, I'm just having to take whatever the doctor says at face value, or I found something and I don't even know how to ask the doctor, how does this apply to me? So being able to provide that research guidance and, you know, what is your story? Let's dive into the research and find what could apply to your, your story and your history. And then helping someone feel empowered with knowledge that they sometimes feel like they just don't have. Um, that's one way I can, I'm going to be helping people individually, but then, um, I also have, um, certification as a life coach and a health coach. And the other way that I'm going to, my hope is um, empowering individuals is we talked about, you feel so broken and empowering individuals to feel at home in their body again. Mm. And the whole idea of, let's help you feel at home in your body again so that you can be that home to somebody else um, and not feel so broken. And so those are the ways that I'm going to combine a couple of my my worlds together um, because with every story, yeah, my, my heart breaks a little bit more and there's so much work to be done and, and that's where I hope to take my work next. Well, and your website is phenomenal. So you guys need to go check out humanizeinfertility.com and you can click stories. And I just started reading some of these stories and you just did such a good job publishing it and sharing uh, and shining a light exactly on what you're saying on the on the darkness of some of these stories and giving them hope and community and connection. So I encourage you guys to check out her website. And I love when if you sign up for your newsletter at the bottom, does that do we get notified when you publish a new story? How does that work? Yes. Yeah. So you will be notified. Um, the newsletter is going to, I'm build. I'm rebuilding a couple of this. And so the newsletter is kind of getting like a rebrand. And with that, I will be notifying everybody for like, okay, new story came out. And then it would kind of give you like a little snip in your email. And then you can hop over to the website, um, to go read the whole story. I I love what you're doing. Keep it up. And I'm excited to learn more about your next steps. And thank you guys so much for tuning in on this really, really important uh, topic. And I love that uh, Hillary says humanizing, not normalizing infertility. Um, I think that is, is such a critical statement. So thank you so much, Hillary, for being on. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, remember, little by little, a little becomes a lot. Even the smallest changes over time can lead to total mind and body transformation. I'd love for you to stay connected with at Dr. Kristen Oja and at Stout Wellness on Instagram. And if you have any questions, be sure to reach out. I'd love to hear from you.